Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love. Welcome to a special episode of Thriving in the Trenches. Megan Schreiber and Becky Carter here. We are um, coming to you with sad and heavy hearts, and um, we just thought we needed to have a conversation. Mm, Yeah. Right. So this is not a normal podcast um, scenario that we set up, and obviously we're talking about the tragedies in the church. And of course, I podcast here from the state of Pennsylvania. Um, I I think I didn't want to talk about this, I'll be honest. Um, And yet at the same time, it's like there's this massive elephant in the room. But I don't want to talk about this as a means like this isn't virtue signaling. This isn't this, you know, this isn't jumping on. Yeah, well, this is just what we do. So we're going to talk about it. It's it's none of that. Um, I think you know, I've cried. We've Becky and I have gone through probably every emotion that every other person has gone through too. And I know personally, I'm at the point where I'm especially really being in the heart of it and um, the heat of it here in Pennsylvania is like, I need to move forward. Um, and if you're online, you've seen the hashtag sackcloth and ashes of which we are participating in. And, um, so it started yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. It was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I picked up some bone broth and, um, you know, set out on my day. And, um, you know, yesterday is just like all I could do was pray for healing for the victims. Like just, um, and I, and I want to just keep my heart in that place and um, try to love these people from a distance, not knowing who they are and, um, offer the little teeny tiny bit that I can, because it's the only thing I know that I can do right now, you know? Um, but I think too, why we wanted to just have a podcast on this is that, um, we, we did see some, I I would say, I don't, I don't want to use the word pushback, but perhaps just, um, uh, Maybe misunderstanding is probably a better word when, um, you know, some people, we talk about fasting and reparation for these sins. And um, Becky, I think you you came across something where somebody's like, I just can't. I can't do that. I didn't sin 
in this situation and I, I can't I maybe you could speak to that a little bit, but I think that's a I think that's a common misunderstanding of what reparation means in this case. Yeah. So um, you know, I haven't been on social media a whole lot and I've and I've really not kept up with very much that's going on. But I did start to see all the the black um, memes. Or, well, they weren't memes. They were just written out explanations of what's happening. And this movement, I, I believe it's Bonnie Ingstrom and Kendra Tierney who have really teamed up to, and I hope I'm saying that right, that have, they've, they're pushing out this initiative and all these beautiful women who are in ministry and who have a voice on social media or through their blogs or writing for other publications have put themselves out there to have a movement. And it's the 40 days of prayer and fasting, making reparation. And like you said, and then that's where the hashtag of sackcloth and ashes has come from. Well, there is a a thread that uh, I've kind of been watching over on Facebook and people who have posted about this, they're getting this common feedback uh, from some people saying reparation. I just can't. These bishops need, they're the ones who send. They need to do reparation on their own. And I think people are really coming from a a wounded place. It's crazy how our woundedness and our trauma can put a hazy filter over. I mean, it's all normal response. Like, I have no judgment. I'm not, look, we've all said and done things about this situation. Some of us are just putting our blinders on. And we don't even want to talk about it. We don't want to admit that it's out there. Uh, It's like the dark family secret. You know, every family has a secret. And and some some are choosing that way. And we all have to to process and deal with it in our own ways. So that really got me thinking. And you must have sent me a message or something and, and said, you know, I think we need a podcast about this. And of course, you know, my response is, no, mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know. And, uh, but anyway, when I, when I saw that thread, I go, this is it. This is what we need to talk about is this act of reparation. Why? Why would I do that? And uh, so that's kind of the backstory of how this evolved and, and what's kind of happening on, on social media. But mm-hmm. I got to give it to these ladies. A lot of people have been very brave to put themselves out there. They have. Um, Wait, what do you mean brave to put themselves out there? Um, to to open themselves up to that negative feedback. No, you know? no, no. I'm you know, sorry. So. I don't, I don't think it's bravery. I think it's what we're absolutely all called to do. And I'm sorry to be like that, like recording this and being like that. But it, you know, when we start to have that sense of fear of man, like, you know, well, maybe we're going to have some repercussions. It doesn't matter. I mean, we're, our church is so wounded that the only thing we should have a fear of is a fear of God, no matter what. And I'm sure these women feel that way. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that they said, I don't care 
what kind of a response I get. So I think that I don't even, I, I, I'm, I don't want to call it brave because then there's going to be somebody who uses that as an excuse. Somebody's going to say, well, that I'm not brave like Kendra, or I'm not brave like those women. And I, you know, it's not about having courage. It's about doing the right thing. Now, sorry, I'm getting heated because <laughs> you're fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, I want to back up a little bit too, because I know I've shared with you personally, um, that, um, I have some reason to believe that my father is, um, has been affected by this now, not because of what came out in our grand jury indictment in the state of Pennsylvania, but because of what he said to me on his deathbed. And, um, for our listeners, essentially, my father um, grew up in a very devout family in the Scranton Diocese, um, which is in Northeast Pennsylvania. And um, my father had a lot of anger. And um, towards the end of his life, he just completely stopped going to mass. And I mean, like, I don't mean like the last three years of his life. I mean, like the last 20 years of his life. And it was something that had always bothered me. And um, I would say probably about four, four or five years before my dad died, I did kind of confront him and say, you know, why aren't you going to church? Like, what, what, what is the issue, dad? You know, and um, all he said to me at that time was, this is between God and I, Megan. And, you know, the, the, that basically was like, we're not talking about this. <laughs> um, and then uh, my dad ended up... Um, really just declining very quickly, like very quickly. Um, and he, he actually passed away at home in his bed, which, you know, to me is just such a sign of a merciful God because my father would say things like that. Like, if I have to go, I'd just love to go in my bed at home. Like he didn't want to be, you know, in a nursing home or, you know, all these other things. And um, when we knew my father was close to passing, one of my brothers did say to my dad, um, do you want us to call a priest? And um, my dad just mustered up a little bit that he could and tears rolled out from the corners of his eyes. And he said, I just don't understand how a priest could ever hurt a little boy. And that's all he said. That was probably one, the last thing he said. And um, we all just kind of looked at each other. None of us really knew what that meant. Uh, but to me, it felt like a prayer. And um, my dad passed very peacefully. So that was, you know, five years ago. Um, and then, you know, he- hearing some of this stuff, um, I just, you know, I don't know, but I know that my father, um, my father's faith suffered greatly and he became very, he had a, a very bad temper. And um, so I personally, pray for my father, have masses said for him. And if there's anything that I can do um, as an act of reparation for things that may have happened in my father's life or anybody in my family's life, if it means prayer and fasting, I'm going to do it. And um, yeah, so that's, so I'm probably a little hypersensitive when, when I talk about being brave. I think that we're, we're in a situation in our church because um, people have equated doing the right thing with being brave. And I don't think that's helped us. I think we have to be doing the right thing 
without it being a measure of courage, without it being a measure of, um, gosh, I might really be putting my neck out there. That's been the walk. That's the Christian walk, right? And um, so, th- so that's why I just, I just kind of pull back a little bit. I mean, we, t- you know, especially for these like the comments of like that Becky that you you picked up on about the the pushback that that these women who started this sackcloth and ashes kind of movement might be getting. But the pushback really isn't towards the women. And it's really not towards it's it's they're processing their own anger. And you know what? They're they're so allowed to do that. And it's even in that that we can come together. It's even in that in the body of Christ, you know, to not feel like maybe attacked because of a, a negative comment. It's we have to look at that and say, that's an why are they feeling that that way? What's their level of anger? Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they can't, maybe their hurt is so deep <laughs> that they can't even get to that place, right? Mm-hmm. We we just don't we don't know. And the reality is is that the sins that are taking place in our church and the horrific things that have come to light as of late. We're all sinners. Now, that's not like, you know, that's coming out of my mouth and I can hear somebody right away being like, but I would never. And of course we would never. That that goes without saying. But as a body of Christ, we've all been sinning against the church for a really long time, you know, with contracepting in our marriage right? Mm -hmm. Um, Living outside the boundaries, or not boundaries, but the, you know, the guidelines of what Mother Church has told us. Everybody has contributed. I say everybody because I'm a sinner. I've totally contributed to sins against the church. And if this is going to be my time to maybe look deeper at, at, at my journey and then how I can offer and um, maybe grow deeper through the crisis, then um, I, that's, you know, I'm going to look at that as an opportunity for growth from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, just to, to answer um, something you said earlier, you know, when we are doing, it, when we are in mass, and we are, um, what's that called? I confessed, Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, why cannot Right. I don't think of the name yeah. of the prayer, right? That's but right. it's yeah. it's not only, you know, forgive me for what I have done, but it's also forgive me for what I have failed to do. So in in response to your bravery, <laughs> um, I mean that's really at the heart of what you're saying is no, we're we're culpable actually if we choose to not do what we are supposed to do. The, the sin of omission is just as big a sin as, you know, actually doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and I mean, that's clearly there's degrees, right? Like, oh, the, the right. Probability is always outside of our judgment. Yes. Right. But the, yes, I mean, and, and like, look, I have access to this document, right? And, and, and I tried to, um, it's like what, 400 pages or something. Oh. And, um, I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the Diocese of Scranton and figure this out. 
with my dad, you know? And uh, as I'm scrolling through this enormous Google Doc, I mean, I'm, I'm like five pages away from where I need to get, and my computer just <laughs> shuts down and reboots. I'm like, what? Three times it happened. And so I said, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm, not go- I'm, not, I'm not going to look at the document. It's wow. not going to help me. And now I'm kind of veering off a little bit because every single one of us has read a lot of articles, right? I mean, I know some people aren't reading everything, but you can't help but run into an article, right? So we're reading stuff. Um, Of course, Pope Francis wrote a letter. Um, You know, I'm not surprised by anything that's written. I'm, I'm also, I also really don't have a whole lot of expectation. And I, and I don't mean to be cynical. Maybe I am being cynical, but like, words don't work. Hashtag, right? <laughs> Hashtag mm-hmm. words don't work. Yeah. There mm-hmm. is nothing, nothing that can be said to me in a letter that is going to help me move forward. Right. I mean, there's absolutely nothing that I could read and go, I feel a little bit better now. It's not going to happen. There are thousands of victims suffering, right? And our church is suffering, and people want to leave the church. And you know, there's so many, there's so many fractures that are rippling out from from this. And that's not to say that Pope Francis's words in the letter weren't exactly what he should have said. But they, it wasn't going to be a place of healing for me or moving forward. It has to be this it, it, action, right? No one's going to be satisfied. Nobody's going to be satisfied until there is an actual movement of some sort of action. And so as the laity, the little bit of movement that we can do is 40 days of prayer and fasting, Mm-hmm. And it were, I mean, you know, when I think about going back to, you know, somebody who, who might say like, but I didn't commit those sins and I cannot pray and fast for, for that. I would not argue with them because that's where they are, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I would actually just be, I would pray for them and maybe even hold their intention as I'm, as I'm fasting. But yeah, absolutely. Right. They're, they're hurting. Yeah, they, they are. And yeah. when when um, when the little boy who had the demon that the father brought in and the, the apostles could not drive this demon out. And then the father takes the boy to Jesus. And that's where the whole I believe help thou my unbelief came from. The father says that to Jesus and then Jesus does drive the demon out. So then when uh, the dad and the son leave, the apostles say to Jesus, like, how come we couldn't do it? Right? And he says, some things can only be driven out through prayer and fasting. Mark 9, 29. Was that what we know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And driven out. I, I really like that. I so if somebody's asking me while I'm fasting, it's not because what those car- cardinals did, I'm, I'm trying to be merciful towards those cardinals, and bishops and all of this. That's not. I'm looking for the driving out. And and I am thankful in ways 
that the Holy Spirit is illuminating and cleansing and shining a light in an area that needs to be purified and driven out. And so for that, I fast. And for the healing of the victims, I fast. Hmm. Yeah. It's, um, it's just, a, it's a tough time. And we really need each other to, to bear one another up in, in love patiently. And, um, we, we can't do this alone. And, and there is a lot of healing that is really going to have to come from this. And, um, I love, I love, I actually love the way you describe that because the driving out of the demons, because you, we all know that the, well, the scriptures tell us that corruption will come from within. And, and this is what's happening is evil is penetrating the church. Mm -hmm. The people of the church, we, we have to remember, and I want to, you know, we talked about this in another podcast a while back about why we can still have faith in the church, capital Mm -hmm. T, capital C church. And that's because Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, is the head of the church, and the Holy Spirit guides her. That means that she, the church, the bride, can remain holy, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. But our faith is in Christ and Christ alone, not the hierarchy. Right. They have a purpose, and God works through those men, mm-hmm. but those men are still men, and they're still sinners like me and me. Well, everybody else. Right. So um, we need to be praying for our priests. We need to be praying and really bearing up those good, holy priests mm-hmm. who are now. They probably feel like their white collar is a target. Oh, sure. Sure. And uh, in fact, I, I, I have a, a friend, well, a priest who, whom I love dearly, and uh, he posted something on Instagram a while back, or just a couple days ago, and I wish I could remember it. I won't pull it up, but um, it, it was basically those sentiments, like, pray for us. Every priest has a demon assigned to him. So we have our guardian angel, right? The Lord was so gracious and gave us not these cute little cherub guardian angels. We all have a warrior of guardian angel, but we also have a demon. And I know that sounds really negative and bad and weird, but like there, when you become uh, an ordained priest, you get some extra heavy hitting <laughs> spiritual warfare. So we need to remember how important it is to pray for our clergy. And that's not that flippant, I'll pray for you. No, that's really hardcore 
lifting them up in prayer, fasting, making reparation, doing whatever we can for them to let them know that we see them, we know that they are striving for holiness, and we thank them because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, these are the men who are bringing us Christ in the Eucharist, and we need them, Mm -hmm. and we need holy priests. We need Jesus. Right. So I think I kind of went off on a tangent. No, but, but, but I mean, look, we this isn't a structured podcast. This was, you know, both on our hearts to um, just talk about it a, a little bit. Not that, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's icky stuff, but to not talk about it is irresponsible. And to not try to um, shed some light on the, the teeny, tiny little bit of something that we could do by prayer and fasting on, you know, over these next 40 days. Um, and let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> fasting, fasting works. I mean, if, 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 if there's somebody who wants to see real change, real change, fast, mm-hmm. fast for the church, mm-hmm. um, change, change will come, you know, yeah. and, and and I think in some ways we have to brace ourselves. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And I'm not trying to be super negative, but, you know, Becky, you know, I tackled a project yesterday of cleaning up my, my uh, mudroom that w- was probably a screen porch at some point, and people put some walls up and um, called it a room. And uh, started to get a little – I started to notice the door jam was – kind of loose when I'd close it. This is like a couple months ago. And then I noticed at the bottom, the bottom, bottom base of the, of the framing of the door, it was chipping a little bit. And then like a chunk came off. I'm like, Ooh, it looks like we got some water damage. And, you know, and then fast forward to yesterday and, um, I'm cleaning out the room and in one particular spot, the, the floor is soft, you know, and uh, like my heart sank, right? Cause you know what that means. The, the, the support is compromised. The foundation is compromised. Whatever the foundation is, I'm going to guess it's some sort of like a decking. Mm-hmm. But my point is, I've had signs <laughs> of of weakness. I've I've had signs that something might be off, and um, it, now I've got a big problem. And and could I leave the room the way it is? I mean, some anybody could walk in and say, "Oh, this is a cute room. This looks nice." Well, it may look nice, but integrity that the integral structure is, is extraordinarily compromised and, and I know it. So now I have to do something about it. And Mm -hmm. sadly, I'm going to have to rip this up. My poor husband, when he came home last night and he's like, this isn't really on the list. Of course it's not. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't think this was on on the list list for the church either. That's my point. That's my point. This there's, there's been signs, there's been weakness and you know, what, what am I going to do? To, to fix the mudroom the right way. I've got to do a lot of demo and, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to go in and, and invest in um, reframe, reframing behind and underneath a place that people are never going to see when it's all done. Right. They're not going to be like, wow, you've got grace, great floor joists. You know, it's not going to happen, but a horrible analogy, but, but our church needs that. And mm-hmm. I, I, I actually see as hard as this time is going to be moving forward, 
I do believe it's a gift. Mm-hmm. Well, it, to know church history is to also know that this is not the first or the last huge, you know, unless Jesus comes back, um, controversy, awfulness, sin, just oozing out of the church, um, things that could actually completely tear down the entire structure and it'd be gone. Historically, this has happened over and over again. And and this is one of those gifts of the Arian, uh, uh, sorry, the Arian heresy is actually one of them, that there was almost nothing left of the church early on. Oh, when was the Arian heresy? Oh, it was um, the Council of Nicaea. Um, St. Athanasius, so uh, 300s? That's what my brain is saying, but it's also very tired. But seriously, the Arian heresy almost completely, like the whole church was almost gone. Mm -hmm. But what happened after that? Mm -hmm. The the church righted itself by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. She was righted, and she grew stronger, and she grew stronger. And she grew stronger. The Lord always brings beauty out of the ashes. And um, this has happened over and over in the church. And this is the story of redemption. Um, this is the story of the gospel. Jesus had to die for us to be redeemed. And there are parts of the church, the people within the church, these these sins, these evils that have to die Mm-hmm. For her to grow out new growth mm-hmm. and and to be beautiful and and give forth great fruit. We're all called to die. And this is what that um, this idea or this teaching of the church, it's an old teaching. Look, I think that in America, especially, we love the good news of the gospel. We love the feel goods of being religious. We love happy praise music. I do. Don't I'm not saying this is wrong, but what has happened is we want to avoid suffering at all costs. And this idea of making reparation, penance, all those words are not as popular anymore, especially after the Reformation. A lot of that stuff was just wiped away by, you know, any post-Reformation denominations that cropped up over the last 500 years. You're not going to hear those things. Um, so I want to talk about, I, I want to just define reparation yeah. as the catechism defines it. Um, and so excuse me for reading, but I'm just going to read straight from it. Uh, reparation, this is making amends for a wrong done or for an offense, especially for sin which is an offense against God. By his death on the cross, the Son of God offered his life out of love for the Father to make reparation for our sinful disobedience. We are obliged to make reparation for personal sins against justice and truth, either through restitution of stolen goods or correcting the harm done to the other's good name. So we are obliged 
to make reparation. Those are the words of the catechism, and it and it's making it right. So there has to be some action done. But I mean, I'm I'm a mom hanging out in Arkansas. I can't I can't do anything specifically in the Vatican or at the USCCB, right? But I can here protect my own ch- children, become aware, um, but die to myself with acts of reparation. Let me give you one scripture where this is actually played out, and this is in First Colossians. I'm sorry, Colossians one. And Paul uh, is speaking, of course, to the Colossians, and he says, "Now I rejoice." I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the divine office which was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now made manifest to his saints. And he goes on, of course, but this is a scripture that is very difficult for a lot of people, especially non-Catholics, because they're like, whoa, I'm sorry. How can anything be lacking in what Christ has done? Right, right. And of course, that's all he, he is saying. But we have a part. If we are to become like Christ, that means we have to die to ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, die to our flesh, and we have to suffer. But we can't do it alone. We need our Simon of Sirens. We need to be Simon of Sirens and helping each other carry our crosses. All right. That's 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 exactly right. And you know, I have I have hope. Um, I I want to say full disclosure that it was very hard for me to go to mass. After, right, but not not so much when I think about the source and summit of what the mass is and it's the eucharist and that's something that i'm hanging on to and i keep my eyes fixed on and and i'm like in my little corner of pennsylvania going to do the very little bit that i can and that is pray and fast and it's it's you know these empty hands this little the little coin that i have to give because it's all that i can give i mean like you said, we don't have power in the Vatican. We don't have, we're not part of USCCB. But but I do believe, I do believe the power of, of prayer and fasting and offering to the Lord for correction and healing and um, justice and mercy will be heard. I, I, I am absolutely convicted of that. Hmm. Well, um, going to adoration yeah. is, uh, <laughs> I mean, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, when we go to adoration, we can make great acts of reparation to the heart of Christ hanging on the cross. Do we understand? Do we understand this, that we are consoling the heart of Jesus Christ while he's hanging on the cross for our sins, my sins, your sins, and you, listener, 
your sins. You can go console your beloved brother, the Son of God, while he's hanging on the cross by kneeling in adoration. I mean, the power we have in our church, the faith is beautiful and it is sharp and strong. And we will come out of this. Um, I want to share a little, a quick story. If you don't, I do mm-hmm. have anything you want to reply. No, and it's just, you know, all through the grace of God, all of it, Amen. all of it through Amen. the grace of God, all of it through the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen. all of it, all of it, all of it. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. I mean, it's, that's one of those yeah. things that I always, like, I know that I get, I have all these great works that I can do only because God prepared them for me and gave me the grace for them. So thank you for reaffirming that. But, um, so the other night my husband found a movie about Helena, <laughs> which is funny because, you know, as a lot of our listeners know, our other little side project about, uh, Helena Daly and, um, Helena was Constantine's mother. Uh, she was a devout Christian woman and in it, I, of course, fell asleep through the movie because that's what I do. But the next day he was talking about it. And, and one piece that he found very fascinating, and I've, and I've done a little fact-checked, and I'm not sure it, that this is exactly the reason she made her pilgrimage to Palestine, the Holy Land, um, was, but Constantine had actually had his son executed and then his wife executed. This is mm-hmm. a very awful story, but... Um, Helena, his mother, was quite a bit upset about it, as you can imagine. Her son is committing these awful, awful mortal sins. Awful. And in in the movie, it talks about that the reason Helena went to the Holy Land was actually to make reparation for her son's sins. And so as she goes over there, this is one of those things, those stories of if this is true, uh, the beauty from ashes, she went on this pilgrimage. And if you know anything about the Holy Land, I don't know a whole bunch, Mm -hmm. but it is because of her pilgrimage. She used uh, the scriptures and she was able to find some of these uh, historical places. She wanted to walk Mm -hmm. where Jesus walked. And um, because of her, the the tradition goes, she found the true relics of the cross. That's right. And And brought them to the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So she brought, because of her faith and her willingness to die to herself and her love for her own son, she was willing to go and make reparation for his sins. Mm -hmm. It's it's actually a beautiful story. When When you look at it in the light of what's going on in our church now, um, you know, and, and now we have all these beautiful churches and, and so many pilgrimages, uh, get to happen. And can you even imagine the number of conversions that happen because they visited these holy, holy sites? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So anyway, it's amazing. Yeah, I no, think it's an encouraging story. It, it, it totally is. And I, and I think about, Imagine the little bit of pushback she got <laughs> from the emperor. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it was about what was 
what was right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it really ended up being a deep, profound love for Christ and for her son. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what, what we do when we truly love something. We definitely will the best for the other, even if it means our own personal sacrifice and suffering along the way. Yeah. 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 Well, we've have a fair amount of recording time on this and I'm sure our listeners have, um, are probably exhausted. Um, but I encourage our listeners to pray for us, pray for all of those who are really taking the next 40 days and, um, praying um, and fasting and really loving the church, mother church, as best that they can from where they are. And um, I pray that anger is cast out in Jesus' name and that healing can come forth to the people who came forward and for the people who didn't come forward. And that conversions can happen and our church can be pruned and and blossom even more beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, be assured of my prayers and knowing that my heart is joined to yours in your sadness, in your anger, your disbelief, bewilderment. Um, just know you're not alone. And there is a beautiful sisterhood that is available for all of us so that we know we aren't alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I would like to leave you all with the words of Peter. It was Peter, right? When in John 6, um, all the people are leaving Jesus because he's telling them that they have to eat his flesh. Right. And, uh, he, he looks to his apostles and he says, You? Are you going to leave too? And he says, Before to whom shall I go? Thank you for listening to Breadbox Media. Find more about us at breadboxmedia.com.